Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. Twice a week, we'll discuss the products, technology, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous vehicles as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney turned entrepreneur, and I've spent the past eight years founding and running two startups. I attended UCLA, Go Bruins, where I spent nearly the entire first four years on a mostly engineering track before finally graduating with an econ degree in my fifth year. I've become a recognized expert in the autonomous vehicle space, and you can find me on all social media channels at Autonomous Hogue, and of course my website, markhogue.com. Friday, the 22nd of February, 2019, episode 84. Could German-style autobahns in California be the key to fast-tracking autonomous vehicle deployment? Have we been going about AV deployment strategies all wrong? And yes, we dive into Elon Musk's bold claim that we'll have fully self-driving cars by the end of this year. All this, right now. Real quick before we dive in, just a quick shout-out to Alex Roy, Alex, my wife and I had a great time meeting up with you for dinner last night in Palo Alto. Fun times, man. Great conversation. Thanks so much for all the tips, feedback, and advice for everybody else. Don't forget to follow Alex on Twitter at AlexRoy144. Check out his fantastic writing over at thedrive.com and, of course, his podcast at Autonocast. Alex, till next time, man. Cheers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so to kick things off today, uh, there's a California senator by the name of John uh, Morlach. Morlach? Morlach? (laughs) Sorry, I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name. Uh, Anyway, this unpronounceable senator, he's suggested that it's time California gets its own high-speed German-style Autobahn. The idea is to add additional lanes to the existing freeways that run between NorCal and SoCal. Sorry, that's... Northern California and Southern California. Um, there's there's currently two main freeways that run from just north of LA up to Stockton. That's where he wants to add these lanes to the existing five and 99 freeways. Uh, so right now you've got weirdly just two lanes in each direction. He wants to add two lanes to each of those, bringing the total lane count up to eight from the existing four. And the idea is that these two additional lanes would allow totally de-restricted speed travel. Um, yeah, I don't even know where to get started, uh, but I think, therefore, I'm going to sort of use my own little cheat sheet here. Um, a while back, I wrote what ended up being a weirdly popular answer on Quora with something like just over 3,000 upvotes. There was a question, why doesn't the U.S. have freeways with no general speed limit like the German Autobahn? Um, you can Google this and find it for yourself, but suffice to say, I broke it down into five main reasons. Number one car control, number two, driving etiquette and rules, number three, American culture, number four, road construction, and number five, the lack of adequate service stops. Uh, I'm not going to go through all these right now, uh, although I guess I will touch on 
the first two, car control and driving etiquette and rules. Because, you see, um, this would never work in America. It just plain wouldn't. Uh, I've driven in Germany and the rest of Europe a lot. And as I think I've probably mentioned on the show, as many of you probably know, uh, getting your license, at least in Germany, I can't speak to the rest of Europe, but in Germany, it's a really difficult thing to do. It's really hard to get your license and it's really easy to lose your license. The point is, unlike in America, driving is a privilege in Germany, not a right. And so to that end, the training is absolutely rigorous. You have to know, I mean, you're, you're properly trained, not just in the rules of driving like here in America, you're actually tra- taught proper driving technique. I recently read that even your reflexes are tested. Um, so, so at the end of the day, when you do finally get your license, you actually know proper car control, handling, dynamics. This is all really important stuff when you're doing upwards of 80 and 90, 100 miles an hour. Um, not only that, you have to have your cars rigorously checked out from mechanical, um, safety issues and that sort of thing. Um, even the physical road construction is different in Germany. The roads themselves are like two or three times thicker than American highways. They're perfectly smooth. Maintenance is just round the clock and so on and so forth. Suffice to say, uh, this just would not work here in California. Um, we don't even have such basic common sense Laws as lane discipline. You're allowed to pass on the right. You're allowed to sit in the left lane even when there's people behind you. This stuff, this would lose your license in Germany if you were to do it there. Anyway, the point is this. Uh, I'm not going to talk, obviously, about the merits of high-speed driving. I would love it too, although I'd be terrified to do it here in California. Instead, however, I think this really kind of is a neat continuation of a discussion from our previous uh, episode. And it segues rather neatly into the next segment of today's episode, which is, look, by all means, build those lanes. But to the point I made last time, be forward thinking, anticipate where the ball is going to be. And of course, I'm talking about autonomous cars. Make these dedicated lanes for autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles only. Boom. Problem solved. I mean, so here's the idea, right? So these additional lanes will take I don't even know how long, uh, five years, 10 years to build, whatever. It's going to take quite some time. And if you think about the timelines that we've discussed time and again huh, uh, about autonomous cars, I mean, five to 10 years, that's about the time frame during which we're going to start to see certainly level four and even the, the first signs of level five cars rolling out. Meanwhile, electric cars, uh, electric car ownership will have shot up drastically, you know, so Okay, if they're going to build two lanes in each direction additionally, maybe, I don't know, maybe leave one lane for ordinary carpooling, leave the second lane strictly, solely for electric and or autonomous cars. This would just, this would be great. This would make, um, this would do a lot of things, actually. First of all, it would incentivize folks to get electric cars and eventually to get autonomous cars. Um, Yes, obviously, I know what some of you are thinking. This would be really burdensome or at least unfair to folks who couldn't afford electric or autonomous cars. Um, That's true. But the more people start to buy these things uh, and the more they reach critical mass, the more it's going to drive down costs. So in the end, it will be a benefit for everybody. Yeah, that's my uh, kind of off the top of my head thought on that. Um, But but this actually leads to a much bigger point um, for which I'd like to actually now segue into the next segment that perhaps we really are going about the deployment strategy for autonomous cars all backwards. 
Perhaps we're putting the cart before the horse, as it were. Here's what I mean. So, as we've discussed a lot, getting autonomous cars to work properly in all conditions, and when I say conditions, I mean weather conditions, traffic conditions, road configurations, different geographies, different urban designs, different countries with their different rules, regulations, lane markings, signage, stoplights, etc. This is all a really complicated thing, and it is going to take a long time, and it's not going to be sort of one day we wake up and all of a sudden, oh, hey, look, everything works. No, this is going to be a gradual evolution. Things are going to get better and better little by little as time goes on. Um, so, so we really need to accept the fact this is going to take some time. Um, and perhaps in the meantime, until we get to a point where really we can, we, we can deploy fully autonomous cars just about everywhere, why not really run with the ball the, this idea of, I mean, take geofencing, to its logical next step. And rather than perceive it as sort of a limitation, why not treat it as a very, if not the optimal solution, a very penultimately optimal solution, as it were, like sort of the second best solution. So, you know, here's what I'm on about. So, so, so geofencing is currently seen, I think, as sort of a, um, an implicit resignation to the fact that, oh, you know, we can't make this work everywhere we're just going to make it work in this little tiny office park complex, or we're just going to make it work on this sort of bicycle lane for these little pod cars sort of between A and B, a distance of like two miles or something. Um, and and I, I feel like sometimes this comes across as sort of, yeah, we just can't do more than that. So this is all we can do. But why not just sort of embrace that fact? Why not embrace the fact and recognize, hey, we can do really well in these controlled geofenced areas you know, our autonomous cars do just fine, say, at speeds up to 35 miles an hour, if that, in these little office park environments. Or, hey, our autonomous cars do perfectly well from A to B on this simple city street in its own designated lane. Why not say, hey, we're really good at this. Let's, you know, kind of be pleased with this progress. And let's just do this everywhere. So if this sounds familiar, it's kind of what we talked about last time, which is, you know, this notion of having dedicated muni, uh, muni bus lanes and so on and so forth, you know, throughout San Francisco or other cities. But why not take it to its next step? Why not just have these dedicated geofenced regions everywhere? So, for example, instead of having, say, a dedicated lane, um, I don't know, on one main thoroughfare through a city, build them everywhere. So an analogy, of course, is something like bicycle lanes. So many cities have bicycle lanes on many, many roads, even most roads, and some obviously have them on nearly all roads. Um, thinking about San Francisco right now, we've got certain, uh, let's see, we've got certainly the, the, fa the world famous cable car, the trolley cars that go up and down the, the hills of San Francisco. Those are on just a few streets at most. Um, oh, and of course, like many other cities, we've got electric buses, which run on overhead electric wires. These are kind of strung over many of the streets of San Francisco. And so these electric buses are free to roam about just fine, but as long as they're confined, of course, to where those electric overhead wires are. Because obviously, you can probably see where I'm going with this. Um, basically, what I'm suggesting is, 
and I'm just running with this idea. This is not a revolutionary thought by any means, but run with the idea that we're okay with deploying autonomous cars in geofenced areas. We're okay with this idea, I think, of what I've suggested before. Cities should start building uh, dedicated autonomous car-only lanes. But rather than seeing it as a limiting thing, seeing it start to see it as a as a as a liberating thing. You know, nobody nobody suggested, and certainly nobody looks at the electric. Uh, buses of San Francisco and other cities as some sort of a limitation, we look at those as, this is pretty cool. This is a pretty great thing that we've developed, that we've designed and implemented. And okay, sure, these buses can't go everywhere, but let's just string along these electric wires over many of the streets, maybe even most of the streets um, where they're most needed. And that'll be certainly good enough, at least for now, at least until something better comes along. So similarly, take this idea of geofenced autonomous car deployment, consider this idea of dedicated AV-only lanes and stop thinking in terms of, okay, we'll have one dedicated lane on like one or two streets through a city and that's it, and just start to deploy these dedicated AV-only lanes kind of everywhere. Um, now that I say this out loud, this kind of sounds a bit of what I've said many times in the past, which is that we should surely, surely see this start to occur on freeways where autonomous cars start to roll out, first of all, in the carpool lanes. Same idea. So that's kind of all I'm going to say about that. And I realize the segue to the next segment is going to be a bit rocky, considering what Elon Musk had to say this time about the timeline for autonomous vehicle deployment And I say autonomous, I mean fully autonomous, like pick you up, drive you autonomously with no intervention, and drop you off. And indeed, the ability to fall asleep at the wheel and arrive safely at your destination. Let's talk about that now. Hey there, just a friendly reminder. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave me five stars on iTunes. And don't forget to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. So to close out today, just a quick discussion, of course, about the really bold claim that Elon Musk made uh, in an interview with ARK Invest uh, just a couple days ago. You've probably heard it by now. If not, just be sure to Google ARK Invest, Elon Musk, have a listen. Somewhere around the nine-minute mark, Elon starts talking about, well, kind of where things are headed. And he makes the following claim. He says, we will be feature complete, full self-driving this year, meaning the car will be able to find you in a parking lot, pick you up, take you all the way to your destination without an intervention this year. I would say I am certain of that. That is not a question mark. And then he goes on to say that once it is feature complete, then you're kind of in the march of nines, meaning how much, you know, how perfect do you need to be? 99.9% perfect, 99.999% perfect, and so on. Um, so, I, yeah, I've, I've sort of suggested for a while, and we've certainly been kind of hearing elsewhere, that, that somewhere around the 2020 timeframe, Teslas should certainly have level three and even level four capability. But this is really effectively hinting at level five capability, especially when Elon says that um, by the end of 2020, uh, you'll be able to fall asleep at the wheel and wake up at your destination. Um, I think there's a bit of a... I think there's a bit of a sort of misunderstanding as between ability and capability. Uh, it's one thing for these things to have the technical ability to do this stuff. It's another thing entirely for Tesla to have the capability, meaning is it actually good at doing these things? So, and in Elon's defense, I think that is what he's saying. I think he's saying that the cars will technically be able to do this, 
and indeed potentially without intervention, but how good will it actually be? And then, then it's a matter of, yeah, it can do it without intervention. 99% of the time, 99.9% of the time. Will it necessarily be able to do it 99.99999% of the time? Yeah, maybe not. So the question then becomes, you know, how many of these nines do we need before we agree it is sufficiently capable and not merely able? I mean, right, so, so again, obviously, if a thing is capable, then it's certainly able, but it's not the case that the reverse is true. A thing which is able is not necessarily capable. Um, you know, being technically able to do a thing doesn't mean you're capable of doing that thing. Doesn't mean you're actually good at doing that thing. Um, so, so that, so admittedly though, he does go on to explain that really there's three stages here. So first you need to make sure your feature complete full self-driving. Then once that occurs, you have to wait for the regulators to allow them to activate the thing. And then finally, once the regulators agree that these things can be done safely, uh, and without human oversight, well, that's the final stage. So I think it's really important to kind of sort of pick his words and, and, and kind of analyze them really carefully. I mean, I think it's very, very easy to say, oh, this is just ridiculously extreme, sort of unethical, irresponsible hyperbole. I, but on the other hand, if you break down the word choice really carefully, you'll see that I think he is making this distinction as between capable and able. And, I think we've known for quite some time, we've certainly talked about it a lot, that Teslas should be able to do level four autonomy. Again, the question is, is it capable of doing it? So I don't know. Uh, at this point, I think it's a bit silly to keep doubting the guy. I mean, he, he he's more or less delivered on whatever he said so far. And let's perhaps not remain pessimistic, but at least cautious um, and see what happens. I mean, 2019, the end of 2019 is, you know, 10 months away. Um and certainly the end of 2020 is a whole other year away. So let, let's see what happens. I think um, hopefully this plays out and we, in fact, get what he is promising to deliver. Isn't that what we all want after all? All right, so that's a wrap for today and indeed this week. I'll see you back here on Tuesday. And don't forget, Wednesday the 27th, we're doing a very special thing because it's the one-year anniversary of this show. And I've got a very... Special thing coming your way, I hope, assuming I can, assuming I can finish it anyway. Um, so yeah, have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.